Hi, it's Matt Kirkner, your host for the Tech Ed Podcast with a quick prelude to this week's episode. We recorded our session with Dr. Mike Lovell, president of Marquette University, a couple short weeks ago. And in the interim, Dr. Lovell shared with the Marquette community and the rest of the world the unexpected news that he had been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. So to Dr. Lovell, know that the thoughts and the prayers of all of us at the Tech Ed Podcast and those of the technical education community as a whole are with you and your family as you face this next challenge in the journey we call life. Now on to our conversation with Dr. Lovell. Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. I am really, really excited for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. 30 years ago this year, I walked across the stage a graduate of Marquette University with a bachelor's degree in business administration. And today, the president of that great institution, Dr. Michael R. Lovell, Marquette's 24th president, by the way, joins us on the Tech Ed podcast to talk engineering and leadership, innovation, making Milwaukee a better place, trends in education. It is going to be a great discussion. Dr. Lovell, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. It's a pleasure to have you on board. And we are going to start by talking about engineering and leadership. You have an interesting background. In addition to your position as president of Marquette University, you're a very accomplished engineer and researcher. You've published over 100 articles in engineering journals, co-authored an engineering book. You've led research that was funded by agencies like the NSF, the Department of Energy, Department of Defense, Department of Education several patents and prestigious awards as a result of all of this work, three mechanical engineering degrees, by the way, including a doctorate from the University of Pittsburgh. So in as much as your role today, Dr. Lovell, is leading a great institution like Marquette University, what inspired you originally to pursue a career in engineering? My grandfather was an engineer. He passed away when I was young, but he was someone I had always looked up to. And I remember being a sophomore in high school in getting a letter from the governor of the state of Maryland. In the letter, it described how my grandfather was a civil engineer and he was actually in West Virginia, but he had designed a dam system when they had some very, very heavy rains saved some parts of Maryland from getting significant flooding. And I'll never forget how proud I was when we got that letter from the governor's office from Maryland. And I thought, boy, you know, I really want to follow in, in his footsteps and in, in, in be an engineer. I was always good at math and science. And so, you know, it, it came fairly natural to me. And, I, and I'll say the other part of it was I grew up on three and a half acres. He had a kind of a, a tractor and some other parts. And I always enjoyed when things broke, getting together and fixing them with my father and using my hands and the mechanical. I would always enjoy taking things apart and put things together. And so those two aspects, I think, really led me to go down the path that I did. And so of all the projects you've worked on over the course of your career, is there a favorite? Is there one that sticks out after being inspired by your, your grandfather and inspired by growing up on those three and a half acres? I think the favorite one I ever did was when I was at Pittsburgh before I came to Milwaukee. It was my last year. I was in a, involved in a project between the, the University of Pittsburgh 
in North Carolina NT University, uh, which is a historically black college down in, in North Carolina. And we decided that we wanted to go for the highest level award given by the National Science Foundation, which is an engineering research center. And it ends up being about a $50 million award over 10 years. It's very prestigious. We started working with the, the faculty at North Carolina and they had a really strong research area in material science and very involved in some bioengineering research. And so what we decided to work on was some revolutionary biomaterials that degrade within the body. So if you're going to say you had surgery on your, you know, you broke a bone, you had surgery, you had a pin put in or a plate put in, or you had for your jaw, some dental work and had that place put in that they would actually degrade within your body. So you'd have to have another surgery to take them back out. And to be honest with you, a lot of my colleagues across the country, there had never been a historic black college and university that had ever gotten one of these awards. And they thought we were kind of crazy thinking that we could get this award because it had never happened before with with a school like North Carolina A&T. But lo and behold, I think I made joke around with some of my, my friends back in Pittsburgh. We probably made 30 trips down there to collaborate and work together and really put together a really well-integrated proposal and plan. And we actually got that proposal. And, and now it's been more than 10 years. It's been about 12 or 13 years since we got the award. And not only was it great for the University of Pittsburgh, but it really transformed North Carolina T University. They now have a bioengineering program. They produce more African-American PhD students than any other university in, in the country in engineering. And so it was a really, to me, it was a very rewarding. Not only was the technology great, but uh, the work we did with North Carolina T University and the way we helped them build up their engineering program was really special. I mean, you know, it's really interesting. We think about careers in engineering, we think about careers in STEM, and what a huge impact they have on the world, right? I mean, we think about obviously tons and tons of math, tons and tons of science that go into educating ourselves to be in a position to, to serve, whether it's an HBCU, whether it is the state of Maryland, as your grandfather did. Lots and lots of good things come out of engineering. And I think that's a really good message for our listeners is that, you know, in as much as we can be dedicated to things like social justice, to things like making the world a better place, engineering isn't maybe necessarily that pathway people would consider, but certainly the great work that engineers do across the country and around the globe makes the world such an incredibly better place. So that's just great explanations and examples of some of your work on the engineering side that over the course of your career led you to the position you're in now, the president of Marquette University. I don't know if our listeners are aware, you're the first layperson to lead Marquette. Marquette's a Jesuit institution, 130 plus year history. So the first layperson in that history to serve in the role of president of Marquette University. Should also note that you're very well known for your strong faith. But your experience on the lay side certainly gives you a different perspective than the presidents who have come before you. How has your background as an engineer turned educator informed how you approach leadership at Marquette? Marquette is a very special place. I often say that people care more about the institution and more about each other at Marquette than any place I've ever been. And it's really because of our Catholic and Jesuit mission. Being a Jesuit institution, we believe in cure personalities, which is care for the whole person. And I would just say that coming to Marquette, I feel like I've come home because I've always believed in servant leadership. The mission of Marquette is to produce men and women who live their life in service to others. And so it's been a very natural fit for me to come to Marquette just because of my faith being a devout Catholic, but also the Jesuits. I've gotten to know more and more about the Jesuit traditions and what it means to be leading a Jesuit university. It just really resonates with who I am and what I believe in. In terms of being the first lay president, not only am I the first lay president, but I believe I'm also the first engineer 
that is leading Marquette. And so in some respects, I feel like it's been a good marriage because I've been trained to look at the world in a different way. One of the things I'm a huge believer is in innovation. And we have a vision to be the most innovative Catholic Jesuit university in the country. And so the fact that my background and past has been around innovation, I've actually done research on innovation and, and studied it. And I teach it in my class that I do teach allows me to come to Marquette and maybe bring a different skill set and a different lens to think about how we can position ourselves, not only in the current way we do things, but looking at the future. And as we'll talk, higher ed needs to transform. We are really, there were a lot of forces on us that were quite frankly, leading to disruption of, of our industry and the pandemic accelerated that. And so I think about what skills and talents I have as an engineer, the way I, I think about engineers learn to look at systems. We're system level thinkers and we understand how if you change one area, it may downstream impact other areas and either a positive or negative way. And so one of the things that I really am pushing and, and pursuing is having individuals on the campus you really think and act differently and not be afraid to fail and know that we do need to change and the one way to do that is by doing things in different ways. So a great way of thinking and looking at servant leadership and living a life of service. I, I like the focus on systems level thinking as well and how you brought that background as an engineer to, I uh, didn't realize you're the first engineer leading the institution. As we think about all of that together, you mentioned in your last answer the class that you're teaching at Marquette University. And I don't know if our listeners are aware, but since becoming president of Marquette, you've had the opportunity to get back into the classroom. You're teaching a course called Product Realization for Engineering and Communications majors. What do students experience in that class? So I'm actually taught this class. This is my third institution. I started way back in 2001 at the University of Pittsburgh to teach this course. And the way it's, it works is we have a corporate sponsor, several corporate sponsors that actually sponsor projects in the class where they bring a idea of a new product or process, conceptual idea, and the students actually develop that product or process over the course of the semester. And much of the grade is based on how well the prototype that they develop fits the needs or specifications set aside by the corporate sponsor. And so what we actually teach in the course is, quite frankly, it's, it's the innovation process, how you come up with innovative solutions to problems. And so a lot of the, the course is based on some research that was done in the early 2000s up through almost today about ways the teams can use creativity to come up with innovative solutions. And so we take them through the process and it's really fun because when you get multidisciplinary teams together, there's another set of innovative ways that things happen. So you may think, well, the engineers develop the product, the the communication students, you know, develop the messaging and the marketing around, you know, around the product. But it's amazing that some of the best solutions come from some of the communication students because they question paradigms and look at things completely different ways than the engineering students, which is which is really unique. And so it's it's a lot of fun for, for me to teach the course. And again, it's it's great because the students actually, by developing a product, had several of them have developed patents. I've had a couple of them have gone on to form companies over the years based on the products that they developed. And in fact, we had one project last spring that I think is moving towards a, a patent. So we're excited about that team. But again, I think for me, it's it's great to get back in the classroom. That's really the roots of why I got into higher ed to begin with. And I will just say it's also really good for me because the students are changing. The students are much different. Gen Zs are different than the millennials. And it's good for me to see how the students experience things and they, they want to learn. So it helps me understand how we can give them the best experience at the university. 
It struck me in this conversation so far, Dr. Lovell, how often the word innovation has come up in our discussion. The, the course that you just talked about, teaching students to innovate both on the engineering side and on the communication side. I really am fascinated by the reference of putting the communications majors and the engineering majors in the same room. Back in my manufacturing days, we used to talk about, you know, if we're doing a continuous improvement project on the plant floor, let's bring in the folks from marketing. Let's bring in the folks from accounts payable, from uh, you know other aspects of the company who have a totally different way of looking at things. And it's amazing how often as we're innovating, we can learn from each other and often learn from people that we might not have thought of right off the top of our head. All this discussion of innovation, teaching the innovation process, you referenced Marquette as being the most innovative Jesuit university in the country. I know that innovation is really, really important to you. And one of your strategic goals as president of the university is to double research activity and receive the Carnegie R1 research designation. What will it take for Marquette to achieve that goal? Until the pandemic hit, our research had, had increased every year since I had been here. The pandemic kind of slowed things down because much of the research for a while had to be stopped in the labs just because we, we couldn't be in community doing the research we want. We're going to continue on that trajectory. And really, as we think about what's the next step for Marquette, and we really are talking about focusing on some research cluster areas or, or research communities, as we call them. And bringing cross-disciplinary teams to solve even bigger problems. Much of the research we do at Marquette, you have a, a faculty member that applies for a grant and he brings up those funds into his lab to really take the next step is to bring many of those researchers that are doing their independent research together and go after the really big problems. And those bigger problems not only are, are better for the impact we can make as a university by having these multiple students together, it actually will bring in you know, larger amounts of research funding because each of those grants, these bigger problems are, are also multi-million dollar Grants. And so we've already been started the process of forming these research clusters or research communities to solve big problems. Like one that is being launched this year is a research community that addresses poverty and particularly poverty right in our own backyard here in Milwaukee. And if you think about all the things that impact poverty, all the way it's education, it's healthcare, it's economic opportunities. And so really thinking about how we can take expertise on the campus to really get to the root causes of reasons why people in this country are in poverty and particularly people in Milwaukee are in poverty. And so, you know, we believe by taking this approach, we will ultimately be able to reach the R1 level of research from the Carnegie classification. I like the way you look at that, going after really big problems, thinking really big. Obviously, that's important in leadership and going after problems from a research standpoint that maybe some of our listeners wouldn't think of right off the bat, things like poverty, education, healthcare. And the economy, we often think about research in you know, IIoT or robotics, but there's a tremendous amount of other types of research that can be performed. And speaking of going after big problems of thinking really, really big, the Athletic and Human Performance Research Center is a new addition to Marquette University. Marquette, obviously having a, a huge background in the world of athletics. Many of us think about your basketball program when we think about Marquette athletics. And I, I still remember back to the 1977 championship. And as you know, I have the pennant hanging on the wall in my office and looking for another one of these under Shaka Smart one of these days. So exciting future. I just had to get that into the question about the Athletic and Human Performance Research Center. But tell us about this new addition. You're a runner yourself. You're an athlete yourself. What fascinates you about the research being done at this facility? One of the things that has happened in, in recent years is that the amount of data we can collect on our student athletes, they all have wearable technology that we know so much about their performance and things well beyond heart rate. They could load and and even when they're training, the forces that they generate, their acceleration, you know, we know all of these things. So we can really tailor 
how much they work out and looking at their symmetries to understand where they may be vulnerable for injuries. There's all this great technology out there. So the HFRC first with 300 student athletes will serve those student athletes and be able to research on them. But I think from a broader perspective, that human piece that we have in the HPRC, we are bringing in other groups such as firefighters and looking at the injuries that they may have and helping them overcome. When you're walking around, you see huge weights on your body and you have to go up and down stairs and you you have to exert all kinds of forces. How can we minimize the injuries that firemen have? We have brought in cancer patients to look at how we can actually use exercise and other rehab techniques to help them along their journey to healing from cancer. Those are just two examples of way we are integrating what we're learning on maybe the athletic side to apply to individuals within our community to help them overcome some of the challenges that that they may face as well. And so another thing that we're very well known for is studying aging and what happens to the human body as, as we get older, how we can continue to be active for as long as possible based on someone's performance and how we can actually change and modify our activities so that we can be healthier longer. I'm going to reflect for just a moment on the parallels between what you just described and what we so often talk about here on the Tech Ed podcast, oftentimes in relation to technical and manufacturing equipment. So we'll talk about measuring and gathering data on things like force and disturbances and temperature and moisture and humidity, and then using that data to improve performance, to predict the future. And in so many ways, you're doing exactly the same thing on the healthcare and athletic side. So gathering data, analyzing that data, and then using it to perform not just athletic performance, but as you point out, the performance of a firefighter, securing the public safety, cancer patient, performance of individuals as we age. So just incredible parallels. We talk often about how as the economy and innovation moves forward, how many of these different areas of our economy and how many different sectors are starting to overlap in terms of how they can use data and and benefit from that data. I want to stay on the topic of data. You recently partnered with the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and Northwestern Mutual to launch the Northwestern Mutual Data Science Institute. What can you tell our audience about that program? How does it work? Who's involved? How is it solving the talent pipeline challenges and high-demand career fields? Yeah, I think I think the best way to start is talk about how this the genesis of the Data Science Institute and John Suski, who's the the CEO of Northwestern Mutual, came to me and said that he wanted to do something big around data science because we think about how Northwestern Mutual has transformed itself. It's again, it, it's gone into the digital world itself now because their customers want to do much of their things virtually rather than dealing one on one with an agent. And so he talked to me about how when they first had to do a digital start the digital transformation, he went out and bought a company from New York to come in and help think about how they were going to innovate and change. And he realized that it was going to be too expensive to keep buying companies and bringing the Northwestern Mutual to do this innovation and that he wanted to build his own talent in the tech space to help not only transform them, but actually have the, the workforce they needed for the future. And so when he approached me, I said, well, why don't we work with UWM and Northwestern Mutual to do this together because UWM is the other major research university in Milwaukee. It's actually the biggest university with the biggest private. And so having the biggest public and private university working with one of the iconic corporations to actually build a data science institute that would a number one, build a talent pipeline. So, you know, producing students that would work in the Data Science Institute that would be solving the problems that Northwestern Mutual was interested in. Actually, turn our faculty's attention. We've launched a data science undergraduate program, we have a data science graduate program. And actually, some of the challenges and problems we're solving 
aren't just data scientists. It's, it's one of the great things we've been able to bring in the liberal arts and humanities. Ethics around big data are very important. So we have people in philosophy and and some of the other areas around healthcare. So some of our nurses and, and people in health sciences. I just met a new faculty member last night who was actually in social and cultural sciences is using data around prison systems and drawing all these expertise from the campus, both students and faculty towards solving problems. And then with the idea of this data science institute would be solving some of these broad-based research problems that Northwestern Mutual was interested in and get a critical mass of, of faculty and students so that we would not just be producing our own, but actually attracting tech talent from outside the region that would say, hey, there's something special going on here in Milwaukee. You know, I want to be part of this. And uh, one of the great things that I know Mitchell did is they built Cream City Labs. And if you've not toured that facility, it's just an amazing space really to allow these cross-disciplinary teams to technology teams to really dig into some of these problems. And so it's a wonderful space and really breeds some of these informal interactions and connections that allow people to meet and engage with one another. A lot of times that's when the best things happen. The Data Science Institute, just a great example of, again, solving problems. Interesting how often we've come back to that topic as well here on the Tech Ed Podcast with Dr. Michael Lovell. Again, it's not just solving the the talent pipeline problem, but as you discussed, solving problems in the humanities, thinking about the ethics of data science, philosophy, doing things in healthcare, and across a number of different economic sectors. So just a great example and fantastic conversation. I want to thank you for joining us on the Tech Ed Podcast. Well, thanks a lot for having me, Matt. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.